Chapter Twenty of Sacred History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Sacred History Revealed by Lady Peggy O'Malley by Charles Norris Williamson and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter Twenty i could not bear to go away to safety in england while eagle stayed behind daily risking his life but he would not listen to my faltering hints that i should take up red cross work again in brussels if you want to give me peace of mind go he said so i argued no more and smiled my best smile as we clasped hands for the last time that was in the thronged railway station where eagle came to see me off and help our pilot parson steer his charges through the crowd i was glad then that we had said our real good-bye alone it took us two days to get out of belgium at that busy time of mobilization we changed trains so often that we lost count and frequently waited for hours at wayside places in pouring rain or boiling sun we hadn't much to eat but most of what we had we gave to refugees worse off than ourselves or to tired hungry soldiers it was a hard almost a terrible journey but it gave me two friends and carried me one stage farther on the strange road along which fate was leading me blindfold the two friends were old maiden ladies the sort of old maiden ladies father and i would have avoided like a pestilence if they had met them travelling on the continent they were twin sisters exactly alike in figure and face their name was splatchley their looks were as repellent as their name and their natures were angelic they were tall and thin and sprawling with corrugated iron foreheads and grizzled hair which they crimped over it in little bunches they had wistful wandering brown eyes like dogs eyes if you can imagine dogs wearing pince-nez the sort of noses manufactured by the gross to fit any face and large stick-out teeth which made you feel sure that no man would ever have kissed the poor ladies at any price their clothes and hats and shoes resembled french caricatures of british tourists and they had a habit of talking together in a way to rasp the nerves but to me they were adorable all their lives they had lived in a country village fussing happily over church work but an uncle who had made jam and lots of money died leaving everything to his nieces part of that everything was a large house in fitzjohn's avenue hampstead in which by the uncle's will the miss blatchleys were obliged to live for nine months of the year they had done their duty by it for the first nine months and had then with great excitement and some trepidation started with a maid as old as themselves for their first trip abroad they had just conscientiously worked by the aid of baedeker from france into belgium when the war broke out and the heart-rending sights they saw among refugees inspired them with a brilliant and benevolent scheme it occurred to them that their big house could be turned into a home for belgian refugees 
and they resolved to offer a thousand pounds toward the expense of bringing penniless people over to england parkins will help they said as we whiled away dreary hours of waiting in discussing over and over again their plans and so saying they smiled square-toothed affectionate smiles at the old woman who had been in their service since they were all three young together but we must have at least a couple of nurses to help the poor distracted mothers with the children and of course there must be a second cook and another housemaid to make things comfortable they went on we must try and think of some nice young girl too among our friends who would give up her time to work with us we're too old to make a success alone then they ran over a list of girls they knew in town and country but were able to suggest no one whom they both jane and emma could agree upon as suitable while these two angels were busily racking their brains i sat with a great idea developing in mine i suppose i must have looked intelligent and eager while this was happening for miss jane was moved to inquire if by chance i knew of anybody who would do a girl who is kind and willing and bright and strong and rich enough to give up all of her time for nothing explained the dear old lady it's a very difficult combination i know and anyhow your friends wouldn't care to bother perhaps with such a middle-class institution as ours will be there'll be hundreds of charities organized by princesses and duchesses smart affairs that will do good on a grander scale than we can and maybe get a little fun out of it too but you did look as if you had something on your mind to help us out with so you must excuse me if i asked i know a girl who would like to help you i said if you'd have her she's willing and strong though not at all kind and perhaps not so very bright she isn't rich either but poor as the churchiest mouse still she'll gladly give up all her time if she may stay with you because she has no home that she can properly call a home we should want her to stay with us of course they protested both together as usual but if she isn't kind perhaps she could learn to be kind she would try hard i said meekly her name is peggy o'malley they thought i was joking at first and when i'd made them understand that i was in dead earnest they shook their heads and looked dubious fearing it wouldn't work you see my dear miss emma explained volubly assisted by miss jane you are the only earl's daughter or indeed any member of the aristocracy higher than a knight's family we have ever met socially if you can speak of this as socially being actually thrown together in all senses of the word whenever they're in too great a hurry to couple our train nicely or when we fall out in a heap at some wayside place like this we don't flatter ourselves that you'd be likely to select us for acquaintances if you were able to choose at this time and you mightn't be pleased with our ways at home we have kippers for breakfast sometimes 
and always cold supper sunday nights i assured them passionately that if providence had made them both expressly for my taste we couldn't be better suited to each other as for being an earl's daughter said i there was nothing in that except extra charges from dressmakers and hotels and having things you had never done attributed to you in paragraphs of penny weeklies then i drew on all my funds of pathos describing myself as unwanted and unloved this did the trick the twin angels took me to their hearts and promised me a place in their home and scheme by the time we got on board the boat they had dropped my handle and were calling me peggy dear in london a crowd had come to the station expressly to welcome and cheer us returning wanderers and london was not the same london we had left a few weeks ago it was a city under a spell a london of some strange dream all the stranger because the only change was in the people later it changed again becoming almost gay and lively in outer appearance but at this time the balance was not adjusted soldiers and recruits were marching through the streets which but for them and those who dazedly watched them were almost empty instead of the mad herds of motor omnibuses which had gone charging up and down in old days a few moved sedately with here an ancient horse-bus unearthed from oblivion of the lively streams of taxis blue and green and black and gray the source seemed suddenly more than half to have dried up some melancholy four-wheelers and hansoms had made bold to steal out and were finding customers little boys were playing soldiers in the middle of pall mall no longer a maelstrom there was no din of traffic to drown the frog-like music of their sixpenny drums and penny trumpets looking into the doorways of the biggest shops one saw nobody but the attendants waiting to serve customers who were not there and would not come outside the little shops the proprietors were frankly standing to wonder sadly what had happened to them and to london and what worse was likely to happen next they talked in low voices to each other trying to smile or read the latest war edition of some newspaper most of the people who were in the streets seemed to have come there to look at the soldiers or to read the papers which they did regardless of bumping into all the others who were doing the same thing nobody appeared to think of buying anything though the shopkeepers had already pathetically changed the aspect of their windows to suit altered circumstances instead of displaying lovely dresses they showed rolls of khaki cloth or linen cotton or flannel for shirts and gray army blankets shoemakers had bundled away their attractive paste-buckled slippers and put forward conspicuously thick-soled brown boots to which they drew the attention of officers and soldiers chemists had hung printed cards advising the public to keep up their strength in wartime by taking so-and-so's tonic wine but no one cared no one bought there was a dazed look on most of the faces if those 
who read newspapers cannoned into each other instead of glaring or swearing they smiled mildly wistfully and perhaps fell into conversation about the war one felt able to guess what all the millions in london and even in all england and europe were talking about and thinking about at any given moment yet it was strange to us who had come from the hot red heart of the war to see no other sign of it except this dreamlike silence which hid the pain of parting from those loved best nobody came to meet me at the station because not knowing when i should succeed in arriving i had not tried to wire nor would a message have been likely to reach its destination if i had the miss flatchleys took me home with them as if i had been an adopted child and it was from the appropriate address of the haven that i telegraphed father and diana reached london safely with friends who have asked me to visit them writing explanations miss jane and miss emma prophesied that his lordship would put down his foot on our plans but they did not know him i did having received my promised explanations he was more genial on paper than he often took the trouble to be for only peggy he wrote from dye's new house in park lane a letter eminently fitted to be read aloud and to impress with his graciousness the middle classes personified by estimable if vulgar females labelled splatchley he had it seemed made inquiries about these ladies and was in receipt of quite satisfactory references i had his permission to visit them until further notice and help in their good work which he thoroughly approved in these early trying days when everybody was organizing something also he was prepared to make me a small weekly allowance for personal expenses and charities he enclosed a check for the first week it was for two guineas kitty added a postscript with a good many italics she was so glad that i was safe after that terrible time when she and dear ballyconnell had been so worried about me and would have been even more anxious if they had had any time to think of themselves of course in the circumstances she could quite understand that it would be awkward for me to accept major van dyke's hospitality so perhaps things were best as they were especially as i would be working for the good cause but i must come and see them surely i could do that and it would make talk if i did not she was sure i would be interested in the sewing guild which di had started everybody was starting a guild of some sort but this was a very special one consisting of the most top wave swells not a woman on the list of workers whose name you couldn't find in burke and debrett diana also wrote not at all hurt that i hadn't accepted her invitation indeed she seemed to have forgotten the episode quite taking it for granted that i was disposed of with the miss flatchleys for some time to come kitty and i will motor out to see you the first day we have a chance she said if we can find fitzjohn's avenue i never heard of it but then one doesn't hear of streets in hampstead 
i suppose except in war or crises like that when we're all as democratic as saints you might ask your friends for a subscription to buy shirt material for us to make up i can get more workers than i need but very little money and we need a lot especially as some of us have had no experience in sewing and we do waste rather a lot of material getting things wrong at first still we are persevering and you must come and see us at work cutting out and putting together garments for the wounded every afternoon in my drawing-room where the decorations are all finished and immensely admired we have tea and i've engaged a palmist who tells us what will happen to our friends at the front and how the war will end she encourages us and keeps us up later we hope to get convalescent officers to tell us their experiences while we sew could you do any knitting for us i remember you learned from your nurse when you were a small child i thought it so irritating of you but it might come in useful now if you remember the stitch some of us can crochet but it seems that won't do for socks a good many use worsted of a pretty color which doesn't clash with their frocks but as for me i've thrown aside all vanity don't forget to ask the miss splatchleys for a check as bally says they're rich and i do hope that you haven't jilted poor tony he has gone as of course you have heard and the dalziels don't know anything i mean about you and t i see them every day milly spoiled two shirts this afternoon but her mother bought us some beautiful ready-made ones instead with tucked fronts work was so real and so pressing with us at the haven that i laughed at the picture of diana's guild with its list of helpers from debrett its palmist and its tea miss jane and miss emma however said that it was my duty to go and see my family as i was younger than they were and it was not to be expected that they could get to me the desired check i hadn't meant to mention but in reading the funny part of the letter aloud one of di's references to it fell out inadvertently and the generous creatures caught it up they were prepared to spend many hundreds of pounds in turning the haven into a refuge and in supporting the homeless belgian women and children to whom they offered hospitality but they couldn't allow my sister to ask in vain i was given twenty guineas for the guild and told that i ought to take the check myself for i would discover that it was the busiest people who could always find time we were busy from six thirty in the morning till ten thirty at night with indigestibly short intervals snatched from meals but as the two angels said there was always time to do one more thing on that principle i contrived to go to diana's on one of her afternoons armed with the splatchley check and my own knitting strongly resolved not to drink any of sidney van dyke's tea or eat one of his horrid eclairs i was ushered into the house by two powdered footmen far too big for it it is a small house for park lane all up and down stairs but the drawing-room is of good size and when a bishop-like butler published my name at the door i saw that the room was full of women young old and middle-aged 
sitting at sewing machines or standing at long tables cutting out strange-looking shapes from hideous materials there were some strange sights to be seen at the haven rooms being partitioned off into cubicles others being turned into dormitories nurseries or refectories for the refugees who had already begun to arrive before things were half ready to receive them but diana's smart new drawing-room in park lane presented a far more extraordinary study in contrasts than anything the middle-class haven could show improbable lewis-sized furniture was pushed back against white and gold and silk-panelled walls gilt-legged tables and chairs were piled with rolls of bleached and unbleached cotton feverishly pink flannelette and scarlet flannel or littered with cut-out parts of garments some of which judging from the confusion and clamour about them had got badly mixed on the garland embroidered curtains of primrose yellow silk were pinned placards announcing patriotic meetings of women who wished to assist or form recruiting agencies or appeals from the red cross society or the prince of wales fund rugs had been rolled up and the polished parquet floor was strewn with shirt buttons reels of cotton and torn papers of pins scissors hid among scraps of waste material and on request were searched for by very young girls whose apparent business was to supply the sewing machines with cut-out and basted-up garments to fold and stack the finished things according to kind and to knit wildly at intervals on immense stockings with singularly long feet which clearly could suit no one but santa claus as according to my stepmother all the ladies of the guild were top-wave swells i'd expected to find the fair brigade of volunteers exquisitely dressed in the latest paris fashions of before the war but no they had invented a still later fashion of their own it was to be frumpish the smart thing for the women of great britain was to have their hair done plainly with an angelic effect of putting patriotism before vanity and having no time to spend on self no money either to judge from their frocks where they had raked up their old clothes i can't imagine there were skirts and blouses in that transformed drawing-room in which a few weeks ago their wearers would not have gone out to burn down a church or to be dragged to prison still i must say that most of the wearers contrived to look very distinguished even those at the sewing-machines who had got tussled as children do over unaccustomed schoolroom tasks no one had on any jewellery except kitty mrs dalziel and milly and one or two others who were also evidently americans not required to sacrifice everything for great britain's sake they with their pretty dresses their rings and earrings and strings of large glistening pearls were like gay flowers in a kitchen garden kitty fat and fashionable and di slim and elaborately frumpish came to me with pajama legs in their hands they didn't trouble to take off their thimbles and i thought they seemed far from being ashamed of the needle pricks on their fingers a few of the girls i knew already and some of the older women all had heard from di or from the dalziels 
that i had been doing a little amateur work as a nurse in belgium but no one not even di herself expressed curiosity as to details they had so much to think of that interested them more and i was thankful for the self-absorption of kitty and di which saved me from awkward questions as to how i had contrived to get out of liege it was simply taken for granted by my family that according to my own written account i had made the journey home with thoroughly reputable refugees i felt sure that tony had not given his mother and sister any indiscreet information about monsieur mars neither did he appear to have told them that our engagement was definitely broken off their unsuspecting friendliness made me feel guilty and i decided that i ought sooner or later to let them know the truth that day at dyes however they gave me no chance to speak even if i'd had the strength of mind to snatch it tony was safely on his way to america travelling in the steerage having given up his cabin to as many ladies as it could hold he was admiringly mentioned and then dismissed as a subject of conversation in favour of others more exciting to his family and closer at hand milly while sewing spasmodically on a weirdly shaped shirt which could only be got on and off by a weirdly shaped man talked about stefan and produced a letter from him which she cherished inside her blouse he had been wounded seriously though not dangerously in poland and invalided home it was not thought that he would be able to do any more fighting and so when he was strong enough he hoped to try and reach england in order that they might be married at once if milly would not mind taking an invalid for a husband apparently milly did not mind in what condition she took her count provided she was sure of getting him she was looking forward if all went well to becoming a russian countess within a few weeks for stefan expected to arrive in a ship from archangel along a sea route protected by the british navy she had so little fear of anything going wrong that she was encouraging dressmakers by starting her trousseau and had begun to study the russian language as a surprise for her fiance mrs dalziel talked about stefan too and how she would help nurse him back to health in a suite at the savoy when he and milly were married meanwhile mother and daughter were giving themselves up to good works it seemed whenever they had a minute to spare from their own affairs milly went three times a week to the russian embassy to sew for the russians and came twice a week to diana's guild mrs dalziel had joined two committees got up by stranded americans at the savoy one to supply money for moneyless millionaires and the other to find clothes for clothless millionairesses whenever one of diana's workers collapsed with fatigue she was given tea or something to eat and allowed an interval's repose in di's boudoir which had become the temporary consulting room of madame mesmerie the tame clairvoyant was expressly forbidden to foretell anything depressing if she could not get visions of husbands sons and lovers coming safely home it was distinctly understood with diana 
who paid by the afternoon that she mustn't have any visions at all this arrangement however was a family secret which kitty betrayed to me in confidence every one said that madame mesmerie was wonderful but i didn't consult her i don't understand much about sewing or other really useful things of that sort but i've picked up enough thanks to helping my poor friends at ballyconnell to know that men's shirts ought to have armholes bigger than those for little boys and that they shouldn't be as short as bibs or as long as surplices even this small amount of knowledge made me unexpectedly useful at the guild where every member seemed to have her own original conception of what shape a shirt ought to be and what it should be made of even my brief apprenticeship with the miss blatchleys to whom most kinds of domestic work was as easy as breathing made these fashionable women's desperate efforts at doing good seem pathetic i agreed to return whenever i could but no one would promise to come and see the haven home for belgian refugees they were all too busy working by day and at night it was a duty to go to a theatre or music hall because the performance was given for the benefit of some fund or else somebody sang a patriotic song to encourage recruiting we grew busier and busier at the haven as the days went by refugees poured in there was hardly time to be sad or anxious in the daytime but at night always always my brain ceased to feel like a brain and became a battlefield as before in belgium the horror and anguish of war poured into my soul as water pours into a leaking ship the most dreadful thoughts could be warded off in the busy hours of the day but in the night stillness they found me without defence and i surrendered those were the hours when it seemed to me impossible that any of the men i knew and above all eagle march could ever escape from the slaughter alive the miss splatchleys said that i looked pale and thin with blue shadows under my eyes and begged me not to work so hard but i could have worked twice as hard without realizing that i was tired if someone who knew the future as no crystal gazer can know it had told me that eagle would come out of the war unharmed even when there was scarcely time for a decent meal there was time to read the war news all night long i existed for the moment in the morning when the two papers which the miss splatchleys took in should arrive and i could bolt the big headlines and secretly search for the name of monsieur mars then whether i found it or not the same suspense had to be lived through till the afternoon when the evening editions came out and after that again until the hour for the last war extra often the name of mars started up to my eyes from the closely printed columns and set my heart beating and my blood flying to my head no one seemed to have identified him as captain march not even the british or american war correspondents who occasionally reported his exploits or if they did they respected his wish to keep it secret mars the belgian air scout he was generally called for a few journalists appeared to know that he was a foreigner 
who had offered his services to the brave little country wonderful almost miraculous feats were attributed to him sometimes they were denied but usually they proved to be true one morning i read that he had made a daring flight of two hundred miles over german territory had dropped bombs on an ammunition train had been fired on and returned to his base somewhere in flanders with the wings of his machine riddled by ninety-eight bullets again he and sorrel who had been at liege when we were there went reconnoitering over the great german fortress of metz hoping to destroy the zeppelin sheds quickly they were detected although nearly three thousand feet above the forts up came shots from high-angle guns spattering around them like spray from a fountain but they persevered making for the direction of the drill ground then suddenly mars motor ceased to work it seemed that all was over for him and the task left for sorrel to finish alone but mars said the papers resolved not to give his life away for nothing sweeping down in a bold volplane he launched his bomb and had abandoned himself for lost when suddenly the motor started again whereupon he darted off defiantly following simon sorrel who had thrown his bomb also and escaped if this had been all i might have borne it somehow in my pride of eagle but there was always something more i read of his monoplane being struck by a fragment of bursting shell over the enemy's lines and his volplaning with a disabled engine to drop into safety and a french stone quarry with important information to give concerning the disposition of german forces when paris was threatened and almost despairing mars flew over the sad city letting fall leaflets with the inspiring message prenez courage taut va bien over brussels also he manoeuvred dropping his leaflets and while angry german soldiers took aim at him and his monoplane he looped the loop far above their noses his cool remark after this exploit was said to have been those germans do shoot badly he had more than one duel in the air with hostile warplanes having vowed with the belgian airmen to ram all enemy aircraft whenever possible there was a fearsome account to read one morning on his bringing down an aeroplane which had dropped bombs on the heads of french troops helping out the wounded aviator and military observer and then setting fire to their machine in this adventure the golden eagle was injured and another monoplane was lent the airman while his own was being put to rights the elusive mars newspapers began to name him because in the face of almost certain destruction he invariably escaped in the nick of time and within an inch of his life at last however one october day of good news for the allies there was bad news for me they had put it in big headlines on the most important page mars the belgian airman caught at last while reconnoitering his machine is disabled and falls in enemy lines he is believed to be wounded and is certainly a prisoner i had no heart to rejoice in the tidings which made the rest of my world happy that day and for many days afterward 
days each one of which seemed a lifetime of suspense there was no other news of eagle march i felt as if the future were a very long dim corridor in whose chill twilight i groped my eyes straining toward the distance so a month dragged itself away and then came news at last end of chapter twenty recording by john brandon